right, everybody. Uh, as I mentioned, we're going to continue uh, with our series called Seven Things That Christians Believe That the Bible Doesn't Say. This is actually the seventh message in that series, and the final one, I've entitled it uh, Presence and Blessing. Why this series? I mean, even the title is a bit of a put-off, isn't it? I mean, I have, I have no reason to be adversarial with people, and I'm, I don't pretend to be a know-it-all or anything like that. So that title, it's meant to arrest people's attention, but hopefully there's some humility perceived in the actual lessons as we've gone through them. In week one, we talked about separation from God. In week two, the wrath of God. In week three, we wrapped up the wrath of God and closed the book on that. So we really spent two weeks on the wrath of God. In week four, we talked about new birth and hell. Week five, inerrancy of scripture. Last week, we talked about judgment and forgiveness and today, presence and blessing. Why this series? Well, numerous notions held by individuals regarding God and his nature are untrue. These falsehoods often stem from our belief in certain biblical references that upon closer examination do not support such ideas. This series is committed to revealing these detrimental and corrosive misconceptions, allowing people to authentically engage in a dynamic relationship with a God who cherishes them even more than his own existence. So here's today's big idea. As Christians, we try to persuade God to arrive and release his blessing by our outward acts, acts such as singing, prayer, and obedience. And I want to take real issue with that state of mind and that attitude towards God. All right, our series text for the whole series has been John chapter 5, verse 39. I want to read it to you. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness of me. I think the message translation does an outstanding job with this, by the way. You have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there but you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me, and here I am standing right before you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life that you say you want. You know, everybody, I, I love my Bible. I love the scripture. I believe that it's inspired. But the Trinity is not made up of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. I hope you get my jest. Let me give you some common Western evangelical views. By the way, I'll say, after studying this for the past number of years, this is not widely, these are not widely believed by our Eastern brethren who come out of other countries in the East. It's, it's very American and it's very evangelical. Come, Holy Spirit. Right? It's a frequent theme in our songs and our prayers. However, the Holy Spirit's already present. So why are we begging him to come? 
Secondly, worship frequently takes the form of an occasion, something we plan that demands a specific blend of music, song, visible display, mixed with a suitable dose of faith. And when we execute that proficiently, the Holy Spirit, often described as the anointing, will be prompted to partake in the assembly, ushering in God's blessing and power. Do I believe God responds to our worship? Yes, I believe he delights in our worship, just as you would delight in the smile of a little child or your child for the first time taking off across the room running or after spending a month or two walking around the table holding it, he all of a sudden frees his hands and he's walking, right? I mean, wouldn't you shout? Yes, God delights because of his relationship with us in all of our activities with him. It's the thought that I have to do those things to gain his pleasure. It's the thought that I have to do those things to enter in somehow into the, this massive courtroom, this throne room, before I can experience God that I take issue with. Let's talk about that. God's presence and the value of singing and the value of worshiping like we just did. Here are the two key paramount above all else in the Bible. These two scriptures have conveyed the idea that I'm antagonistic against. You ready? First one, Psalm 95, verse 2. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with songs. Now, first of all, let us come. Where did he go? Now, I, uh, believe me, I taught this for years that basically we were outside the anointing. We were outside of really experiencing the power until we worshiped correctly. And so as I told my wonderful associate pastor who was my associate pastor for years, he called me from Oklahoma Friday and uh, he called me on my way home and uh, I got into the driveway and then sat there and must have talked for about an hour in my driveway with the car running to my former associate pastor. Isn't that good? I thought of you. Because I thought of you and Nina spending, you know, four or five hours talking. And I've often said to Nina, I don't know how you ladies do that. I don't know how you get on the phone and go two and three hours. And, and so, now tell me, did, I said this to you when I came in the house, didn't I? I said, that is the longest that I have talked to a human being on the phone in years. In fact, I don't think I've talked to another male human being that long in years and years. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was good. I'll tell you, here's one of the things we talked about, though. We talked about this, this principle of presence and how both myself and he, his name's Dusty, both Dusty and I used to teach that it was that that what worship was for was to get the heart of the people ready, get them to enter God's presence and prepare for the pulpit so that I could step into the pulpit and preach a good word to you. And man, if there wasn't the right music going, no anointing, I couldn't preach. Dear ones, that is commonly held 
in pulpits and churches. That view of God and his presence is common today in evangelical America. And it's very sad. Here's the second scripture, also in Psalms. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Well, being thankful is awesome. Blessing his name is awesome. But where am I coming from that I have to enter? When did I leave? Why did I leave? Do I know? I, did God notice when I left? And so when I come back, do I need to be particularly noisy and loud with my praise? We taught that. We taught volume was important. And if it wasn't loud enough, I tell the crew now, I want to have a concert. I know, I know you get upset with me sometimes because your ears are different than my ears. <laughs> All right, listen to me, dear ones. Listen to me, dear ones. This statement in these two verses, these two statements, which are very much alike, this statement of connection between worship and God's presence is nowhere repeated in Scripture. Not once. Numerous Old Testament passages, which would imply God's presence was a consequence of prayer and obedience, aren't. But even if they are, that is a skewed vision of God's character. Because as we've taught throughout this series, God looks like Jesus. God has always looked like Jesus. There's never been a time when God didn't look like Jesus. We haven't always known that, but now we do. If you want to know what God looks like and how he acts, watch Jesus. Four to five passages in the book of Acts depict God's presence displaying in a gathering of prayer and worship, but without any reference to obedience or procedure. No New Testament scriptures directly connect God's presence. Jeff, you might have to watch me because I'll jump around here. All right? <laughs> and everybody's going, yeah, it's, it doesn't say that up there. Uh, well, Jeff has it. No, anyway, sorry. No New Testament scriptures directly connect God's presence being granted as a reward or benefit of worship. None, not one. Why? Why? And why is this so important? One simple reason, dear ones. I am in Christ. You are in Christ. Christ and I are one. Not good, what do they call that? Grammar. grammar. Yeah, poor grammar, but you and Jesus is one. I don't pray, worship, obey, go to church, volunteer, etc., in order to get God's presence or blessing. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Watch this. My old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him 
And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine, for the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. I want to show you something here because depending on the translation of the Bible that you've chosen and happen to particularly favor, most of them, most of the common translations of the Scripture really since King James so many of them read this way for my new life is empowered by my faith in the Son of God in Aramaic it reads this way for my life is empowered by the faithfulness of the Son of God it's not my faith it's his faithfulness even when I'm faithless, he remains faithful. Aren't you glad? There is no difference between what you were like or did or, you know. A lot of people use Sunday to get cleaned up, to make new promises, to get everything right with God, tell him you're sorry, repent, get a clean slate, so that when you hit Monday morning, all right, Am I lying? And by Wednesday or Thursday, you are feeling like you need to go to church again and get right. And do you know, as far as God is concerned, as far as his presence, his blessing, his joy over you, his love for you, his willingness to give you good is no different on Sunday and Monday than it is on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday when you old rotten thing, you're out there doing that stuff. backslider you by the way backsliders not even in the Bible <laughs> see I have I have a really short teaching today so I'm I'm taking a lot of liberty but I have something you got to stick around for okay if, if 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 you were thinking now of of unhooking from the live stream you know maybe this just I'm not flipping your switch don't because we're about to with a testimony that you must see I promise you believe me you'll write me and thank me Colossians chapter 2 verses 9 through 13 in him all the fullness of deity resides in a human body he proves that human life is tailor made for God where's God live we are complete in him Jesus mirrors our wholeness and endorses our true identity. He is I am in us. I'm going to stop there. So you can take that down, Jeff. Temple teaching. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, God's presence was always associated with the temple. But the location of the temple has changed. Listen to Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And I know what you say. Boy, if, 
If God had known the way I was going to live after I confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I went forward in the church and shook the preacher's hand and I got water baptized and then I went down to the favorite Bible bookstore and I bought a King James Bible and I started going to Bible study and I started going to Wednesday nights and Thursday nights and, 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 and then helping on Friday and then Sunday morning and Sunday night too. I've been at all of them. There was choir practice in there. Thank God. But boy, in all of that that you thought was causing you to be okay with God, appease God, get God to come. There was this stuff going on. And not once did God leave, not once did he say, you know, boy, <laughs> made a mistake with that one. I need to get a different place to rent. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. Dear ones, I was on a call this past week with international apostolic representation of the church, and one of them said this, a temple was never a temple until the divine resided there. To ask the Spirit to come is to admit that you are not presently the temple of God. Jesus has pinched his, pitched his tent here in humankind. He brought Father and Holy Spirit with him. Jesus is with every human being already in tabernacle. So from Old to New Testament, it changes from rain on me to, oh, spring up, oh well. <laughs> So listen to me, dear ones. Worship extends beyond melodies, verses, postures, and chords. It's the self-pouring forth, the surrender of who we are to embrace a life centered around relationship. And so I said there'd be a disclaimer. I'm not against presence, and I'm not against experience. I'm not against you raising your hands. I'm not against you rolling on the floor. If you want to dance and whirl and twirl, sweetheart, cut loose. I just want you to understand it doesn't bring God's presence any greater than he had been there had you not done any of that. You see, it's up here. It's between these right here. Your sense of his presence, your feeling his presence, your awareness of the anointing has nothing to do with the music. It has to do with what you have surrendered to in your mind that causes God to be a good and loving God rather than a judgmental, critical God trying to catch you doing something wrong. I'm just against believing we must prompt and persuade I host his presence. <laughs> Good morning. You are looking at Holy Spirit. I don't always act like it. I'm not always a good representation. But he's here. This is God's dwelling. Nothing we experience from God's power and presence is a result of appeasement or negotiation. Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, we're talking 200, 300, all right, just a generation plus away from the disciples themselves, the apostles, said this, and I quote, 
out of his measureless love, our Lord Jesus Christ has become what we are in order to make us what he is himself. Now here's where we want to be sure we have. So give me just a minute now. We're just in a living room, so you won't mind. All right. How many of you have heard of this series called The Chosen? I have heard criticisms, but if, if my opinion carries any weight and you haven't tuned in, start watching The Chosen. Now, one of the actors did an interview pretty recently with The 700 Club. I'm going to show you nine minutes of it. Right? Uh, okay. With that, here we go. I'll take the fish to the market and settle up Simon's debt. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> We've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> Go now. Nick, thank you so much for chatting with me. I've been sharing with individuals that I am like a super fan of the show, so I'm so excited to just chat with you today. That's so cool. Yeah. And how has this role playing Zebedee, the father of James and John, two disciples of Jesus, how has that affected you personally? It gave me insight that I never thought I'd have into what it's like to be a dad. I'm not a dad in real life, but when I, when I stepped into the role and I've told people it was, he was downloaded to me from God, like it was a literal download when I got the script. I didn't do script analysis. I, I, actually, I was careless in the audition and I, I thought I bombed it. And, uh, and playing him has given me a strong taste of what it's like to step into the shoes of a loving father. And that's why I kind of, I give all credence and credit to God because I don't know what it's like. So how am I playing that so well if it isn't him inspiring me to do that? Okay, so talk about your faith. I mean, has your faith really grown as you've been a part of The Chosen? When I was younger, my grandfather was a Greek priest, so I grew up Greek Orthodox. But as life does, it takes you through a series of challenges and trials and it causes your heart to start to turn into a rock and you start to experience an inner battle. When I first signed up to do The Chosen, and I had a conversation with God and told him, you probably don't even exist because of where I was at. And something in me opened up. It was like a black hole started to open up and swallow me alive. And I heard my heart call out, say, if you don't call out to God right now, this is about to get really bad. And I'm, I'm invited to this conference by two of our uh, construction blueprint designers, uh, Seth and Brandon. And I thought, well, what is it? And they're like, you know, it's, we get together, we pray. And I'm like, Okay, and my heart said, you should go. And so I went, I walk in and I'm like, okay, people are twirling around like ballerinas and swing side to side. This is so weird. Oh, man. And I was kind of jaded at that point, so that's how I was seeing all of it. I was like, okay, we're an hour in, I'm gonna put my head down and I'm gonna pray. And I started in my heart asking God to remove this burden that was 
I feel transferred to me from my family because of the war-torn country that we're from in Beirut, Lebanon. And so I said, Lord, whatever this is I'm carrying, I want it off of me. 20 minutes doesn't even go by. Uh, my buddy Seth, who invited me, his son comes over behind me from like 40 feet away, taps me on the shoulder and says, um, I want you to know I was praying for you from back there. And God told me to tell you that <laughs> it's crazy. By, by showing up tonight, you broke your family's generational curse. <laughs> wow, wow. And that was the first kind of like peg that knocked me off my, my balance and I lost it. I was like, of all the things he could have told me, what? And then later on, the pastor, she got up on stage and said, okay, I want everybody to get on their knees and, and bury their idols. And I stood there and I was like, I don't have any idols. And then the heart came in and this voice came through really strongly this time and said, yeah, you do actually. Uh, your acting career, your voiceover, your mom, your dad, your brother-in-law, your sisters, your sister, your other sister's boyfriend, uh, your bank accounts, oh, your Jeep commander, your car, and you've, you've put them all before me. And I was like, ouch, that really hurt. I got on my knee. For the first time in my life, I genuinely gave them all to God, as in this is my offering to you because I've been on this show. I've been hearing about you. I've been hearing about these parables and I just want to be with you now. So I gave him everything. <laughs> it um, amalgamated into nine people placing their hands on me, kind of ganging up on me. And uh, they're one of their elders coming up with anointing oil, like the irony. Wow. Anointing my forehead, my palms. Next thing I know, he was praying over me in tongues. And from, from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head, it was like fire was passing through and burning everything that I had in me away to where I was gonna ask them to call 911. It was like, whoa, I'm getting dizzy. What's going on? And it was frightening. It wasn't like, oh, it felt good. And it was, no, it was, I felt God's presence and it was frightening. So wow. I understood what it meant, oh, the fear of the Lord. Yes. It was like, oh, yeah. he could kill me at any second like this if he wanted to. He could just evaporate me. And it, it got to the point where I felt like I was being microwaved and vibrated at the same time. And then eventually just dipped into water before my body could handle any, couldn't handle any more burning. I felt wow. like my skin was going to explode off my body. And then I was submerged in an ocean. And then all the prayers went very muffled. And then all of a sudden I was just pulled up, it felt. And then everything was just still. And it felt so weird because I didn't feel like myself anymore. And since then it's been one encounter after the next. And it went from, oh, I have faith to, I don't have faith anymore, I don't need it. Cause like I met him. <laughs> and I jokingly yes. say like, I know the guy, Come like on. I know him. That's Because so he's powerful. in me and he's around me. And all I have to do is address him and he's literally right there. He's literally right there. And I've never, I've never experienced God like that. Um, so took it from, from, you know, from what it was to relationship. Where it's like now I want nothing but to be around him all day long. So we heard that something really special, really amazing and cool happened in Zebedee's house. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So. After the encounter happens, I'm just discombobulated because I'm I'm searching for the anger and the frustration and the hurt. And I'm like, it's not there anymore. <laughs> Two of the construction guys hear what happened to me. 
uh, John Hart and Michael Singh, and they, they, they were the lead construction guys for the biblical town that we shot in. And John tells me, he says, you know, uh, you've heard that we've written scripture all over the walls in the homes, right? Do you know it was one of my guys that heard from God to write the scripture on the walls? And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think I, I heard something like that. And he said, you know whose home it started in? And I said, no. He was, <laughs> he was like, it started in Zebedee's home. Wow. And I said, what? And we're sitting there eating steak at Prime 150s. Really good spot. And, uh, and I said, what? And he said, it started in your home. And then the scripture spread to the other characters' homes. And I'm just sitting there frozen. I couldn't eat anymore because I'd already been through so much. I'm like, I don't need to hear this right now because this is now too much. <laughs> I can't eat my steak. <laughs> like, I, I couldn't even finish. And, and he said, you know, we got together as a crew when we broke ground to build those homes that we prayed for one of the actors to receive the Holy Spirit and would become the seed to spread the gospel. And he points at me with tears in his eyes, this big burly bearded guy. And he goes, and you're gonna be that seed and you're... <sighs> it gets me worked up because I was about to sweep God under the rug. And for this to happen is, <laughs> has, has blown my mind beyond belief. God did this to the loudmouth voice actor who's blabbing it on set in between takes <laughs> because I can't help but to talk about how mind blowing this was. So I know people that might be watching, it, it might sound absolutely crazy. And I identify with that because I was the one Back in the day, um, even though I believed, but I would sort of poke fun at people that were so into Jesus and why are you so into him like that? I didn't understand. People should know, even when I confronted him and I said, while I'm talking to him, you probably don't even exist. He still came after me in this way. So if people think, oh, I'm not good enough for him to... It's like, he wants you because you're not good enough. Yeah, yeah. So then he can make you good enough. Once this happens to you, there's no going back. Amen. There's uh, no going back. You're, there's you're, no going back. You're different. And it's, you're different. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's mind-blowing. Thank you so much, Nick. Yeah. Wow, thank you so much. God yeah. bless you. Well, I'm crying, and I'm only not bawling because I've already cried several times watching that. It's about relationship. <laughs> he was about to sweep God under the rug. We have an actor that was ready to just tell God <laughs> who made fun of Christians. He's playing Zebedee on The Chosen. <laughs> Where are you? Where are you? You're not too far. You'll never go far enough. There's not a place you can hide. He's chasing you. Go ahead, Jeff. Let's just sit in his presence for a minute.